How are we doing? Good. Uh, well, hey, I'm, I'm Jason. I serve here at the church, and it, it's an honor to, uh, to be with you today. And I just want to say a special welcome to all of our locations at East and Downtown, as well as online and on television. We're so happy that you joined us today as we uh, continue on this series, Asking for a Friend. i like, ooh, that's a tough deal. Uh, we actually had a similar experience last night at my household. It's a tough... <laughs> Um, you hope it passes, Cal. That's, what I, that's all I'm going to say. Um, well, listen, uh, today we get to, uh, uh, as we continue the series, explore this question. What do I do about loneliness? And for some reason, they thought of me for this uh, question, so here we are. <laughs> well, listen, if we're honest, we've all experienced seasons of loneliness, whether it's due to distance or our relationship status, uh, health, maybe trauma, uh, maybe life's pressures, conflicts, um, addiction, you name it. Some of you may be body odor. Whatever the case may be, a lot of us have experienced loneliness. Many of you didn't laugh. That must, that must have hit home. Uh, um, but the question isn't whether we will ever uh, experience loneliness. The question is, how should we respond to it? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to go to the scriptures, the authority on all matters. And we are actually going to Psalm 142, and we're actually going to explore this, this entire chapter uh, together, and then we'll unpack it verse by verse. How's that sound? We're going to nerd out a little bit, but I think, uh, think God's got some good stuff for us. So uh, Psalm 142, a mascal of David when he was in a cave, a prayer. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who take notice of me. No refuge remains to me, no one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord, I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me and this is the word of the lord and uh this is a great great scripture uh because i think it really brings this question of loneliness into light and again we're going to go verse by verse so we're going to begin with the title of this scripture which is this uh a mascal of david when he was in the cave a prayer now a mascal uh it is believed to be a prayer of instruction so david wrote this and it is meant to teach us something so obviously he's going through something but it's also meant to teach us. And I think it's helpful to provide a little context to what David was experiencing when he wrote this in the cave. As you can see, he's, in, he's sitting in a cave and he's going through something. So what's he going through? Well, many of us know the story of David and Goliath, right? And David, uh, if you didn't know, he defeated the massive Goliath and his fame spread throughout all the land. Uh, people were telling tales of him, singing songs about him. Uh, but David served a king, King Saul. And Saul was jealous of the fame that David had, thought he was a threat to him. So Saul pursued David, wanted to hunt him down and take him out. Now, this is a problem for David. David is a warrior serving his king, sacrificing his life for his king. Not only that, his king was the dad of his best friend, Jonathan. Not only that, his king was his father-in-law since David uh, married one of King Saul's daughters. In fact, he paid a pretty hefty price. If you know your scriptures, he, uh, the price was 100 Philistine foreskins. Yeah. 
Yeah, how do you think you got those? Um, my daughter recently got engaged. I didn't ask, I didn't ask for my uh, future son-in-law to, uh, to do that for me, but uh, whatever. Um, could have got 100 tacos or something. I should have done something. But, uh, but David is in this cave, uh, hiding out in this cave because he's being hunted down. So you can imagine the deep sense of betrayal that he felt when he has sacrificed for his king, who he is uh, married to his daughter. This is a family member. This is the dad of his best friend. And here he is alone in a cave. And so David uh, was a shepherd, a warrior, a musician, and the future king. But at this moment in time, he's just a lonely caveman, like many of you bachelors here today. But uh, but it is here, deep in a cave, that David wrote some of his uh, greatest psalms, including the one that we're exploring today. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but I am not a fan of being stuck in deep, dark places like this. And there are actually people, though, who do this for fun. It's called spelunking. It sounds like a skin disease, but it's not. It is actually the disease of trying to get yourself into situations like this for for adventure, and you never know what you're going to find. In fact, we have some great, a great photo here from uh, a member of our church, Caden Frankie. Uh, but here's the deal. I do love the great outdoors, and I've spent enough time in the outdoors to know this. There's a difference between taking shelter in a cave and being stuck in a cave. And today, as we approach loneliness, I really wanted to uh, highlight this up front, that there's a difference between loneliness and solitude, okay? Loneliness is uh, really a separation that we feel between us and God and us and others. Solitude, though, is a spiritual discipline where perhaps we retreat with God to connect with God so that we can better serve God and serve others. So those of you who love your solitude and to recharge and get away, that is cool. That is not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about is the moments and seasons in our lives when we feel lonely. And what do we do with that? Um, so we're going to go to uh, Psalm 142, 1 and 2, and uh, read this. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead, to mercy, plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. I really want to point out a few things. I cry out, plead for mercy, pour out my complaint, tell my trouble. Well, what do we do, do with this? Well, I think this is the question. When was the last time you had an honest conversation with God? You see, God is a relational God. He loves you. He wants to be in all of your life. Um, and who better to go to than God? He knows your troubles. He knows what's on your mind, what's in your heart, what's weighing you down. Uh, he even knows what lies ahead. So the question is, do we know him? I love this uh, chorus of, of a kind of a newer song from a guy named Aaron Lewis called Everybody Talks to God. And the chorus goes something like, uh, whether you're a farmer in the field praying for rain, or you're at the graveside of a loved one because he called a loved one's name, you can thank him, you can blame him. Either way, you're going to face him. Whether you believe in him or not, in the end, everybody talks to God. Love that 
David, in this psalm, though, he, is, he has a relationship with God. And so when loneliness strikes, his instinct is to go directly to God. As theologian Charles Spurgeon wrote, uh, the caves have heard the best prayers. I think about seasons of my life uh, when I've cried out to God. And several years ago, I was on a trip to Denver and uh, got a phone call from my wife that someone we love very dearly was in the hospital. We did not know whether they would make it or not. <clears throat> and it was out of the blue. And I got in my truck and started driving back home uh, from Denver to Rapid City. If you've ever made that drive, it looks something like this. <laughs> Welcome to Wyoming. We have no cell service and we're probably gonna pull you over if you speed. So, um, <laughs> but Lusk has a great nachos. I don't know, something like that. But, so I'm driving through Wyoming, uh, no cell service. And I have to tell you, because of the situation that we were in, I was, I was furious with God. I, I was so angry, felt, so helpless and without anything to distract distract me it's me god and my windshield and this view uh i let god have it i'm gonna be honest i uh i was i was mad why are you doing this what are you doing what have i done just everything you can imagine i'm just just letting it out and uh it's kind of heartbreaking thinking about it at the time because i it was such a point of desperation and what was prayers of frustration and sadness, though, uh, through all that time, as you know, it's a long stretch. Through all that time, God brought me to a place of pleading for mercy and help. You see, that was the point. I was at the end of myself. And these are the seasons in our lives when we can't borrow someone else's faith. We have to own it ourselves. That this is a relationship between me and God. If you're a young person, you may be borrowing your parents' faith or your family's faith. Uh, maybe you're here with friends and it's your friend's faith. But eventually, it comes down to you and God. And I think that's exactly where God wants us to be. See, we are called to a real relationship with a real God in the real world. Let's go back to to Psalm uh, 142.3. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. My spirit faints within me. See, David is writing this psalm not from a place of strength, but from a place of weakness. But there's a difference, you know, between feeling strong and being strong. A lot of people pretend to be strong. They're very weak. What we know as believers is we are never stronger than in our weakness because that's when we tap into the supernatural strength of God Almighty. Don't believe me? Well, I'll go to 2 Corinthians 12, 9 where it says, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. He knows our way. He knows the journey we're on. He directs our path. And when we're on the path that God calls us to, you can bet we're going to meet resistance. See, Sometimes we think what God calls us to uh, is the easy way. That we think it's with the wind. But oftentimes when you're following Jesus, it's against the wind. Maybe you felt that. Maybe you understand that. That's what the scriptures pull out. That's what David is experiencing here. That's what many of us experience in our lives. When following Jesus, expect opposition. When Jesus is your Lord, 
you will not make everyone happy. Choo-choo. <laughs> I love it. And you can't make everyone happy. As the meme I recently uh, saw, you can't make everyone happy. You're not a jar of Nutella, you know, just that's, or armadillos. How about that? Uh, um, when you declare Christ is king, that's quite a statement, by the way. Christ is king, and he is king. You will have enemies. The little kings don't like that. So be unashamed, unafraid, and uncompromising in your faith. Stand strong. I love this uh, quote from Winston Churchill. You have enemies? Good. That means you've stood up for something sometime in your life. Now, here's the deal. It's one thing to have opposition because you love the Lord, and it's another thing to have opposition just because you're a jerk. Know the difference, okay? I don't think we're called to be jerks for Jesus. That's not a club. <laughs> I've been in that club, but it's not a good club. Um, as believers, we'll not only have people against us in our lives, as David is experiencing here, we actually have an enemy who wants to exploit our vulnerabilities. And we are never more vulnerable than when we are going our own way and all alone. That's when we step into the traps that the enemy has set, especially the trap of isolation. Now, isolation runs contrary to how God created us. We know in Genesis that uh, God created us in his image. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. The Holy Trinity, three in one, the community, he, he's not even alone. And he made us in his image. And then when he created man, he said, it's not good for you to be alone. So it's not good for us to be alone. We're meant to walk with God and with others. But isolation is separation between us and God and us and others. And here's the deal. Every single human being is born with that itch to belong. This is why isolation, again, notice I'm not saying solitude, but isolation is so dangerous. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Isolation separates us just like sin does. Isolation makes us vulnerable to things like self-righteousness and temptation and fear and comfort and resentment, poor health, bad decisions, you name it. You know what I'm talking about. It also leads to a sense of despair like David confessed to having in verse 4. Look to the right and see, there is none who take notice of me, no refuge remains to me, no one cares for my soul. Have you ever been surrounded by people yet feel completely alone? Anybody ever felt that? I have. Um, David may not have actually been alone in the cave, but he certainly felt alone. No one could understand how he felt the infamous war hero had been betrayed. For all we know, David was smiling through the pain. Maybe he was trying to be strong for everyone else around him. Um, there's a loneliness to leadership. The weight of responsibility compounded by the circumstances of life and sin, it can be overwhelming. Um, parents know this. Bosses, owners of businesses know this. Uh, difference makers, even pastors, they get it. So in his honest prayers, uh, David cried out to God. And I love what he said here. I'll go back to this verse. 
There is none who take notice of me. No refuge remains in me. No one cares for my soul. And David is being honest. He's saying, I'm not noticed. I'm not cared for. And no one cares for me. That's what isolation does. Would we say that a child would thrive with that kind of isolation? Of feeling uncared for, unsafe, and unnoticed? And if not, why would you thrive in that kind of environment? Why would you thrive in isolation? Of course not. That's why we need to walk with our Father and uh, be honest with Him. Because here's the deal, without God, when we feel unnoticed, any kind of attention will do. Without God, when we feel unsafe, we will even run into cages for refuge. And without God, when we feel like no one cares, eventually, neither will we. Maybe that's how you feel. I don't know about the situations you're going through or your seasons of life, but I do know God can use lonely times to bring you closer to him. As C.S. Lewis wrote, it's a great quote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Maybe God wants to use this moment and those seasons of loneliness in your life to bring you to the end of yourself because that's what he did with David. Maybe that's the point of the cave that you and I find ourselves in. When all hope seems lost, when we've hit rock bottom, when we're all alone, stuck in that deep, dark cave, the Lord meets us there. That's what happened to the man in black, Johnny Cash. Uh, I'm going to tell Johnny's story. Uh, it's, it's a pretty powerful story. Um, I thought I should do the, hello, I'm Johnny Cash, but I don't think I could pull that off. But I just tried, so I guess whatever. Um, but when uh, Johnny hit uh, the depths of his despair, uh, this is at the end of his first marriage. He had uh, destructive addictions, and he found himself in Nickajack Cave in Tennessee. Now, this is where he thought he would die. Uh, the cave has since been flooded in, but before it was, Cash wrote this in his autobiography. I thought it was pretty powerful and that I would share it with you today. The absolute lack of light was appropriate, for at that moment I was as far from God as I had ever been. I thought I'd left him, but he hadn't left me. I didn't believe it at first. I felt something very powerful, a sensation of utter peace, clarity, and sobriety. I couldn't understand it. How, after being awake for so long and driving my body so hard and taking so many pills, dozens of them, scores, and even hundreds, could I possibly feel all right? The feeling persisted, though, and then my mind started focusing on God. There in Nickajack Cave, I became conscious of a very clear, simple idea. I was not in charge of my destiny. I was not in charge of my own death. I was going to die at God's time, not mine. I hadn't prayed over my decision to seek death in the cave, but that hadn't stopped God from intervening. See, this is the turning point in Johnny Cash's life, and when he crawled out of that dark cave, his life would never be the same again. In fact, uh, Johnny eventually became the Johnny Cash that you and I know today, because when Johnny met Jesus, everything changed. And King Jesus is calling you as well. On the cross, Jesus experienced a cosmic loneliness that we can't fully comprehend. 
In the midst of our pain and in the midst of his pain and his agony, Jesus hanging on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those words, which by the way is an echo of Psalm 22, 1, and here's Jesus on the cross quoting scripture uh, that David wrote probably in his agony, and here's Jesus on the cross, and he's not just saying that because the cross is hurting him in the physical pain. He's saying that because on the cross, the father turned his face away from his son and poured his wrath upon his son for the sins of all mankind. We know that in 1 Corinthians 5.21, it teaches us that God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, that's a loneliness none of us will ever experience. I appreciate what the prophet Isaiah said as he foretold uh, the coming of the Christ. Uh, Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. When we cry out to the Lord as David is doing in this psalm, uh, we remember that Jesus is familiar with our pain. The Lord has gone before us and the Spirit of God is with us now. The proof is found on the cross where Jesus died and in the tomb or the cave where Jesus rose again, defeating death, conquering sin, crushing the enemy, and calling you and I to live forever with him. How cool is that? Because of Jesus, loneliness ends with a comma and not a period, much like our lives. David knows the Lord. Because he knows the Lord, he has hope beyond his despair. And as we continue on with his prayer in the psalm, we will see a tone shift to reflect his faith. Uh, verses 5 and 6, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Now, I love... Uh, what I'm seeing here because I see a contrast in his prayer. He was open and honest about how he was feeling in these previous verses, but then he remembers that the truth trumps his feelings. Though he feels unnoticed, he remembers who the Lord is and that he will attend to his cry. Though he feels unsafe, he remembers the Lord is his refuge. Though he feels like no one cares, he calls for God to deliver me. How cool is that? We may not be able to relate to David's position, but you and I can certainly relate to his plight. David's capacity to lead is determined by where he turns when he's in need. And that rhymed. I'm a, I'm a poet and don't know it. I'm a rapper, but not that dapper, right? As evidenced by the jean jacket that I'm wearing today. Get in my Trans Am, listen to some Mario Speedwagon, whatever. <clears throat> well, the same is true of you and I. Our capacity to lead is determined by who we turn to when we are in need. The fact is, you and I are never alone. Our feelings may tell us that we are, but again, our feelings don't always tell us the truth. And by the way, believing a lie doesn't make it the truth. God is enough. And that's what he's asking. Am I enough? Am I your portion in the land of the living? 
As we close out, uh, we're going to go to the final verse of this psalm, uh, but we're going to spend some time here because I think God is going to teach us some action steps to take coming out of this to say, how do we get out of these seasons of loneliness? What is God going to do with this time? So we're going to go to verse 7. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. And this is what the Lord is calling us to. So first, we're going to highlight this. Bring me out of prison. Some of us have been hiding in caves, and some of us have been running into cages. But here's the deal. In Christ, you are free. You may not feel free, but the truth doesn't care about how you feel. The truth is the truth. And in Christ, you are free. And don't just take my word for it. Let's go to the scriptures. John 8, 36 says, If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. That's out of the mouth of Jesus. You are free. So run to Christ, not to cages. Galatians 5.13 says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. In other words, we are called to love God, love people, and live free. That's my credo in life, because that's what the scriptures teach. So why? Well, we're going to highlight the next portion here. That I may give thanks to your name. This is our why. It's all because of Jesus. You might feel like you're in a valley right now. And if you're not, you will be. That's my promise to you. But when grace falls like rain, it's the valleys that fill first. So, we should live in gratitude for what he has done for us. And in doing so, his light will shine through us and people will wonder, why do you have that kind of hope? Which is the exact question we want asked of us. And we say that I might give thanks to his name. The mission of this church is to show people who Jesus is and to live with gratitude. So give thanks for what God has done for you. Next action step is this, the righteous will surround me. So who do you surround yourself with? What kind of people are you hanging out with? Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And listen, if you don't feel like the righteous surround you, how about you live righteously and surround others? One way to do that uh, is with this challenge I'm going to give you today that everybody needs three types of people in their lives. They need Yodas, friends, and grasshoppers. Okay? A Yoda is a mentor who's been where you want to go, someone who can give you advice who's further down the road than you are. Right? You need, you need those kind of people in your life. Someone who will say, like, love Jesus, you will. Yeah. That, <laughs> something like that. Uh, We also need friends. We need partners in the journey, people who encourage us, run beside us, uh, challenge us, keep us going. We also need that. And we also need grasshoppers. And grasshoppers uh, are not just a a good emergency source of protein, but they also, but seriously, you need people that you are investing in. The, The fact is you are further down the road than somebody else, and God can use you to invest in somebody else's life. So all of us need people that that will pour into us. We need friends that we can run alongside and that we are helping to develop and grow 
the next generation as well. So my challenge, and I want you to ask this question, do you have all three of those kinds of people in your life? And if not, maybe the Lord is calling for you to, to pray through how you can be a Yoda, a friend. And sometimes we gotta be, find grasshoppers. All right, if you don't know what grasshoppers is, I can explain it after the service, but. This is one reason, by the way, to belong to a church, because if you don't know where to start, you just seek to serve. Uh, you might be surprised by the kind of connections that you make when you're serving alongside people. I have this belief that community is not just staring at each other in a circle, but it's standing beside each other on a mission. In the Air Force, we call this esprit de corps, the spirit of the team. And that is the brotherhood that forms uh, when you share a mission together. Can't explain it, you can only feel it. And some of you know exactly what that's like. Well, by the way, that's what the church is like. We are on a mission together. Show people who Jesus is, and we're running beside each other. And that's what God's calling us to. That's how you have this righteous surround you. We want to be a place where no one walks alone. Final uh, section of this. <clears throat> for you will deal bountifully with me. God loves you, and he wants what's best for you. May we never forget that God's greatest gift to us is his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died for us so that we might live for him. And spoiler alert. Ready? Lean in. Spoiler alert. Jesus wins. Actually, better said, Jesus won. We're going to go to Matthew 28. Jesus gives the uh, great commission here. You may be very familiar with this, but I'm going to read this whole thing, uh, and then I want to... Uh, talk briefly about it. And Jesus said to the, came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Now, first of all, what authority? All. Just in heaven? On earth. All authority on heaven and on earth? What? Ponder that. that that's, that's been messing with me lately, by the way. Who's really in charge? But we'll continue on. That's not the point of this message. But go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with us always to the end of the age. My friends, <clears throat> he never leaves us. Looking at the time, I have, a, I have a few minutes. I want to share some truth bombs with you. This message isn't about how clever I can be, by the way. It's not that clever. God loves you. He wants to be with you. But I think God wants to remind you and I of where to turn when times of trouble hit. So don't take my word for it. We're going to go to the scriptures, and I'm going to read a slew of verses. One or all of these, I pray, will hit you, and that you'll remember it in your time of need. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Romans 38.8, 38 and 39, 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Psalm 139, 7 through 10, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Matthew 1, 22 and 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Hebrews 13:5. keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Deuteronomy 31, 8, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. 1 Kings 8.57, may the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave us nor forsake us. Psalm 23.4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And finally, Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is big, and he loves you big time. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for being with us even when we don't feel it. I don't know why some of us feel alone, but you do. I don't know why some of us are going through what we're going through, but you do. I don't know why some of us have hearts that have been broken, but you do. I don't know why some of us aren't feeling well, but you do. I don't know why, as the hymn says, sometimes we feel like sorrows like sea billows roll, but you do. But we do know this. We know the truth because you have revealed the truth. You love us and you are with us. And when we're with you, we are never, ever, ever, ever alone. Thank you for noticing us. Thank you for being our refuge. Thank you for caring enough to send your one and only son to die in our place for our sins and making us new. Thank you for calling us out of the cave of loneliness and into the life lived fully. May we love you back with our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.